Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. One of the first steps I mean, trepidation for me, this entire disengagement process. The first round of letters that took me probably two months of panic attacking all over, we sent out 170 of them just flat out saying, I'm sorry, thank you. We can't help you. Goodbye. Did that. Luckily, only got five clients or so that needed to respond with your meanie head. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Melissa Downs. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You are in Down to 40 Hours in CPA Mastermind, and I wanted to have you on to get your story because you have what I think is a fairly common experience of having way more on your plate than actually fits. We've been working for the last few months to make modifications, changes, improvements, so that you can get out of the sort of chaos or the storm of it and get back to enjoying your work and sanity and loving life again. So for listeners who don't know, who haven't heard your name before, tell us just briefly who you are, where you are, and a tiny bit about your firm. My firm is four people strong now, and we are based in Kansas City, Missouri, and we do a wide range of everything from individual income tax to monthly bookkeeping to corporate tax to you name it. Yeah, it's probably on my list. So how long have you been in EA? So I have been an enrolled agent since 2016 and I joined the family firm in 2009. My family alone has owned this for over 50 years, but we've been in business since like 1919, allegedly. 1919, so you have some serious legacy. Just a scotch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So in the green room, we got started chit-chatting about how you found the podcast, how you found the program and all of it. Tell us, and we got started talking and I was like, wait, we need to hit the record button because it started to be a good story. So tell us where you were like six or eight months ago before you found the podcast and everything. So um, last October, my mother finally declared she was actually retiring. And so I said, woohoo, finally, because we've been waiting on this day for a couple years now. And almost in that moment, I had a panic attack of, oh no, I'm gonna become the owner. Um, how do I gracefully change this, I'm gonna delicately say this monstrosity of a large business that we have into something that I truly want. And a friend of mine who is also in a family firm found your podcast and sent it to me. 
And I think it was uh, Josh's episode on Hold My Beer. And and Watch Me Knit. Yeah. Episode 211 or 212. I like beer. Of course, I'll listen to a podcast, accounting <laughs> podcast about beer. And so I devoured that one and then just started bouncing anything around in that time zone. And we talked about pricing and we talked about getting rid of clients and we talked about picking a niche. And I thought, what's a niche? I have none of this. Then I listened to, I think Sheila's episode really got me because she took her version of monstrosity and has narrowed it down to something that I was like, these people are crazy. How is this possible? That's for them. It's not for me. And then I sat there and I thought, why can't it be for me? I don't want 900 tax returns on my roster. I don't want to be working 80 plus hours in a week. That's not the life I want. Like burnout was on the horizon. Mm, Yeah, totally. For listeners, I'll put the link to Sheila's episode in the show notes. It's probably in the two teens or two twenties or something. Talk a little bit more about the monstrosity and what that felt like when your mom said, you know, hey, I'm headed out, I'm sunsetting. And what you thought your life was going to look like in terms of, or like what what your business was going to look like, what your life was going to look like. Our business, because we were a very, we are a very tax heavy practice. Um, so probably 70% of our revenue comes from tax season alone. And the other portion is just broke out into monthly accounting things. So we do stay busy year round. It's just, it's super heavy for the first quarter and then very, very light the rest of the year. And when I looked at that, I said, why? Um, I don't want this. I don't know how many times I can say I don't want this. (laughs) What are my steps? Like, what are the ways that I can go about shifting this? And I knew part of that was increasing our monthly accounting. I thought it was just the count. It's not just the count. Um, And then decreasing the tax count. And I thought, oh, if I just decrease the client count, the tax count by like half, I should be fine. And the prices, the prices will shimmy, shimmy, shake out and they'll be fine. And then you had me run numbers and then I cried inside because they weren't the numbers that I expected. And then we had to go back to the drawing board and do this again. So I want to, when you say you ran numbers, was that the first time around or the most recent one? No. So I've run numbers multiple times because the spreadsheet is your comfort zone, you know, until it lies to you with the outcome you don't want. (laughs) (laughs) Until it tells you what you don't want. That's just mean. And before I called you, I thought, oh, I'm unique. Nobody else is like me. Um, nobody else has a firm of, you know, I'm, I'm just special. And I called you and, and you're like, uh, yeah, no, uh, you are one of all of my babies here in my class. Please join us. You will learn a lot. And I was like, okay. Because I was, I was literally on the, cr- on the cusp of cracking and just like crying in a fetal ball for days on end, you know. So I had to, I had to do something. And this was... This was a big step, but man, has it been worth it. You, where you were headed there just a moment ago was what you thought the solution might be. Can you just pick up that torch for just another minute? Yes. Yeah, so the solution I thought was to re uh, reshift the count between monthly accounting and tax, like getting those more on like a 50-50 revenue band. But then I was still thinking in, in dollars instead of count in hours. And this is not like a price per hour thing. It's it's literally how many hours can I actually work in the week? 
And that first run didn't answer that question well. <laughs> so, okay. So you thought it was like, we're tax heavy at 70-30. What I need to do is balance it out to be more 50-50. Correct. And that that will solve my work problem and we'll still be able to make enough money. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when you got in into it a little bit more, like what did you see that made you go, oh, that's not actually going to work or that's not the best solution? Well, I don't know. I don't know if there was one particular light bulb moment, but it was the culmination of multiple items, and, and we kept peeling back the layers of of the business, and it was it became evident that it wasn't just I had more problems than just like pricing. I have a serious volume problem, serious serious volume problem, and one of the first steps. I mean, trepidation for me, this entire disengagement process. The first round of letters that took me probably two months of panic attacking all over, we sent out 170 of them just flat out saying, I'm sorry, thank you. We can't help you. Goodbye. Did that. Luckily, only got five clients or so that needed to respond with your meanie head. And that was fine. I kind of, ex- I wasn't sure what to expect, but only five. So I was like, Phew. okay, um, round one panic over. And then I started to separate the clients again into what do I want from this next batch? And so I focused on my schedule C1040s, who I was like, you guys are not the best at business. Why aren't you utilizing more of my services? So I have, I'm currently in that round waiting for them to high grade themselves into my new packages or um, gently go out into the night. So we'll see. And how many people, how many clients is that roughly? So that was roughly a hundred. Okay. So we were maybe at, you know, 25% of my client list. And my next, my next round of letter is about to go out that seriously uh, increases their price. I don't need many to say yes. And you don't need many to say yes. Yeah, from what to what-ish? Somewhere is in the low 300s. Some are in the mid um, mid 500s up, and then some are in the, the thousands. But my thousands are basically going to stay and stay at that price because they're already my high-grade clients. So it's that tweener stage between 300 and 750. The tweeners, I love it. The tweeners, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, and those are... Let's see, I want to just come back a tiny bit high level because I think you might have said it after we hit record that you were around 1,000 clients in terms of volume. Is that right? Yeah. So two years ago, we we had hit 1,100 total returns in our system mixed between all of the things. Right before I got into your class, I had done my first round of pricing increase, which I thought was a big step. And it was it's basically a minor blip on the radio here. And that took me down to 900 clients. We still made the exact, actually we made more money last year than we had the prior year by like $50,000. So great, because I dropped 200 clients, but not so great because I still have 900. And still working like mad. And now I'm going to lose an employee because the boss is retiring. Okay, so you started somewhere around 1,000, dropped 200 or so clients. And then this round of schedule C1040s, that's the next hundred, right? That's in progress or that has, they're kind of waiting, you're waiting to hear back whether they're high grading themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you have another round coming because, so tell me about this next round and sort of where that came from. 
So the last and final round is roughly 400, 450 clients. Mm -hmm. And they are going to compete for a whopping 120 spots. But I have earmarked probably 50 for already that are going to stay that I don't need to really ask. So, yeah, it makes it that much more Hunger Games at my office. Because <laughs> I... You made me redo my capacity planning with actual facts and figures. And that was a kick in the pants in a good way because I cannot do. I knew I could not do 900 tax returns. I thought I could do 400 tax returns, but it's not it's not feasible under the way we treat our clients and the services that we want to offer to them. There's just not enough hours in the day for me to do this. Yeah. And so how many do you think you can realistically handle or take care of in the way you want to? My goal is 120 individuals and 120 corporations, partnerships, that kind of thing. And since most of these individuals have the corporation partnership, a lot of it's going hand in hand. So it's going to look beautiful. So some listeners might be passing out because when we say a thousand and then cut 200 and then cut another 100 or high grade and then cut another four or send letters to another 400 hunger gaming over 120 spots. This is like accounting space sacrilege. Like what? You don't cut clients. You keep them for life. Mm -hmm. How did you get to the place where you thought it was a good idea to cut all these clients? So many days and hours of of your of coaching <laughs> of you have a serious problem. And I kept looking at the calendar going, oh my, January is coming up. We have to do something. I also listened to your other episodes where people kept saying this, just like what I'm saying right now. And I thought, these guys are crazy. There is no way this is possible. And here I am eating crow saying, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Because my staff would revolt and leave me. There's just not that. We all, all of us agreed that this is what we wanted. We wanted, I, I've told you in class, but I'll tell the listeners here, I've created in my mind a German train station where everybody's on schedule. We know when they're coming in, what they're basically what we're going to talk about. If they randomly call, I know something big has happened, but more than likely we've discussed it once or twice. So now it's just the results. And we don't have to worry about the random notice that came in the mail from client number 692 because... Who are they? Um, just another cog in our, our whole system. And it's, it's just too much. The number of emails all day long is just too much. So we are shedding a lot. How did it feel to have to shed all those things? Were you like, just rip off the bandit and like, hooray, this is amazing. Or were you like, oh, I think I'm gonna feel sick. All, all of my classmates um, are like, oh, that's terrible for you, Melissa, but good for you. And we just have to do it. I actually make my st one of my staff members put the letters in the mail, so I didn't actually do it. Um, I wrote it, I signed it, we stuffed it, we labeled it, but I did not put it in the mailbox, so it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So you said a minute ago that you thought the other people were crazy and that it wasn't possible. So tell me, what are the things that you were like, oh, this is how, I get that I thought it wasn't possible, but if I do it this other way, actually it might make sense and maybe it is possible. It's a combination of literally looking at hours in the day, slotting in the people and 
roughly how much time they truly take. And I have been a habitual underestimator of how much time things take. So I have adjusted accordingly. And then you you do that week after week after week because tax season's what, 10 weeks. I can only do so many things while still maintaining the other parts of our job because we still do monthly bookkeeping for clients through tax season. That work does not stop. So what's left? And those realizations hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I cannot keep just 400. I cannot keep 300. I can maybe keep this number. And anytime I, I mean, we, I panicked. What if they all say no? And the flip side is, well, then I just don't have to work very hard. So maybe that's okay for a season. The money, the money will come because this is not even about the money. It's about the stress level and the getting my life back to where I wanted it. Yeah. How on a scale of one to ten, how stressed or combination of negative experience, how much of that were you feeling? I don't think I actually understood how boiling my pot was until I stepped out of it slowly. Cause like after tax season, I don't know what it is, but we all forget how much work we put into it. And you're like, oh, that was that, oh, we made it. Like that's not so bad. But Everybody I talked to goes, holy moly, you guys do 900 tax returns? I was like, yeah, doesn't everybody? Um, Isn't that just what everybody does? And they're like, no. And I was like, am I the weirdo now? And how do I become less just awful as a person during tax season? The The brain is not there. It's terrible. Yeah. You just lose yourself. Totally. Yeah, you just get sucked in, sucked away, and... It's like, everybody leave me alone, it's tax season. Yeah, you go into your cave, you tell your friends, you'll see them in four months and hopefully they don't forget about you. And and you come back out and you see this, the flowers have bloomed. And, it's like Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, I'm in a field of day. Like, where do these come from? Can I read you a quote I read in a book that just completely um, solidified what my old business model was? Yeah, go for it. This paragraph hit me and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is my business life. And I believe David Baker said, when you do everything for everybody, the only leverage you have is to do more of it faster and cheaper. Is that the business of expertise that that's in? This book is Tim Williams' Positioning for Professionals. He just took a snippet of it. Oh, yeah, he's great. And I thought that is exactly what we were doing. We were busting out all of our workflows and optimizing everything as much as possible. And we had it down pat. And we can, we can rip through a tax return wicked fast, but that's not what I wanted for our clients. I wanted to explain it to them and I wanted to have them know that if they changed this or this, then like their whole world could be better next year and why. Hmm. So, which is what they want. What some of the, what the ones that I'm keeping want. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was a nice realization because more of our clients were asking for higher level complexity things and they were needing more of that hand holding time. And I, love to give that because you know we're natural helpers and now they're intrigued about the work that I actually do as opposed to just sign here mail this have a great day see you next year and so in order for me to do that that was another thing that had to change is my offer it's not just a come and get your tax return done I'll see you next year hope the family's great bye let's talk about how it had to change and I think that one of the things you know I say a lot that so many challenges inside an accounting practice can be traced back in some way to hourly billing and one of the things that hourly billing sets up is call me if you need me 
and I will get started working and then I will hit my timer and I will hit stop when I'm done working and send you the invoice. It puts the responsibility or the onus, if you will, on the client to call when they need something rather than for the seller to think about what is what my client actually wants and how can I package this and put it on a shelf with a label and a price tag on it so that they can scan the shelf and be like, I want this version of that. You know, like, do I want Advil or Tylenol? Like, I want painkiller. Do I want Advil, Tylenol, or leave, scan, got the prices, got the variations. I want this one. And as professional service providers, it can be a little bit tricky to think about how do I package something that's kind of nebulous, right? It's just my knowledge and my expertise. How do I put that in a box with a bow and a price tag and some marketing on the front? What was your sort of thought process or experience or evolution? Like, how did it come together for you? So when we went through last year's before I got with you, I did my own three-tier pricing and struggled with how do I differentiate the three levels? Because at the end of the day, they're all just just getting a tax return. And I had to step back and say, no, this client wants meetings in this. Another client wants more additional discussions with their financial planner or you know the, the extras that come with it. So when we rolled it out, clients were confused. They're like, well, I just want whatever I had last year. And we're like, okay, so I guess it's just the basic model. And I was disappointed because I thought more of them would want more of our advisory type services or, or the additional things that come with it. And probably 70% just took bronze. So when I went through the list, I knew quickly who I could cut because they just, they complained. They didn't like it. They, you know, anything and everything was, well, don't you just put that on the form and mail it in? <laughs> yes, here, here, here. Um, it's for, you can, if it's that easy, you do it. <laughs> That, yeah, seriously, if it's that easy, and um, by all means, here's here's the thing. And then, of course, they'd say, I don't have a printer, and I don't have ink, and I don't have this. And like, come on, guys. Like, I really, I, I my base fee last year was 305 That was the lowest I could charge to at least pretend to not feel taken advantage of. So we did, but those were, that was probably one of the first groupings that I said, have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for being clients for 30 years. Okay, so what was the next iteration? Because things have changed since then so right now the next iteration is i have um removed bronze entirely because that's not the client that i'm going after my clients need to have a specific level of complexity that means that they almost can't do this themselves and they need professional help or professional guidance and they have probably an s corp or they have a rental properties in in a partnership or they have something that makes it not just average or typical. And and so I'm, I feel super good that there are enough of those people in my client mix that I don't have to worry about anything else. Meaning? Meaning I have fulfilled my bucket of capacity. You filled your bucket of capacity with the high graded clients that you want to be working with who need your expertise because they can't, it's not as easy as just checking the box and stuffing the envelope and mailing it. You've got the clients who you're like, these ones need me. I want to work for them. The prices make sense for them. The prices make sense for me. There's enough of them that I can fill my bucket with just these ones and then make it all pencil and work. And for anybody who's like af afraid that if you cut accidentally too much, I always have to remind myself how many new people call you every tax season looking for somebody. The 
the people are out there. They will come. It won't stop. So I get the fear of cutting clients, right? And it's also not fun because obviously these are people with whom you have relationships. They're in your community. I get that there's an element, a piece of it that's like, oh, this just does not feel great. The cost is continuing to work way more hours than you want to. One way that I see some people trying to fix it or address it is simply by raising prices. But the risk is that they don't raise prices enough and it doesn't lead to yeah exactly right it doesn't lead to enough people leaving so now you've increased your prices and you're still overworked and your clients are still getting underserved but they're now they're paying more and it can kind of make it worse in some ways so yeah talk about if you will raising your prices as a way to potentially push a few people out the door but it ends up not being enough what was that like Yeah. So when I did my first mini experiment, I'm going to call it is raising everybody to what I would call average market rates. Um, We had some drop off and that was fine. It was expected. I was wanting to hit 20%. I got like 19.4. I was so close. It shows you a a few things. One, everybody will keep paying you no matter what, because they don't want to leave because finding a new person is hard. So there's that barrier for the client. But it get and it still didn't it still didn't solve my ultimate problem of getting less work. So when I was going through the next iteration of pricing and got to the point where I just cannot offer bronze, that there is another current fear that I'm going to have of, well, if I offer this to 400 clients and 400 clients accept, and some of them will double their fees, will they still stay? I hope no. But there, there is that fear. But then I've gotten to a point where it's going to be a first come, first serve. The first 120 you're in, I'm really, really sorry. We have discussed creating a wait list. But I know that when tax season rolls around, more clients are going to come in. And for some reason, new clients will pay a new higher price because that's all that they know versus existing legacy clients getting them up to the new market rates. So at one point, I think I told you, can I just burn the whole place down and just start fresh? And you you said, well, that sounds nice, but how do you plan to actually do it? And I said, I'm just going to light a match because it's the <laughs> only way I know how to do it. <laughs> we were at desperate times and I was at desperate measures. So right now I, I got past the fear just saying, what do I want for me? I'm going to come first this time. Yeah. And it also helps when you have a really bad day at work when like six more emails come in for some piddly something and you just, you're fed up, you're done. And, and the anger comes in and it wins. Goodbye fear. (laughs) Right. I'm, and I'm going to come first this time. And I love the, just for listeners, like the burning it down was (laughs) only theoretical. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to come first this time deciding what your capacity is i think that's the piece right is so often it's easy to leave it to the client and be like well come if we if you need us but you're like nope we have room for 120 this is what we have there are 400 of you who want the spots first come first serve everybody else will put you on a late list wait list we'll see if we can figure we'll we'll see what becomes available but this is what we have so do you want to buy just getting in the driver's seat that way is a whole different mindset about running your business. Let's go over briefly to niching because this has been a little bit of a conversation. I don't think it's been the primary focus of the work that you've been doing, 
But tell me where your head was before when you even were like, wait, niche, what? And what's your niche? What's a niche? And what and where it is now when it comes to thinking about who your best clients are? So the mentality that I learned growing up in this business was you get clients from all the different areas because in case one of them goes down, you're not out a whole extension of your of your practice. And to me, that made sense. You know, diversity, great. But as we get into it, and if you make sure you have the correct client and you are working with them, those clients are going to weather those storms because you have optimized them to do anything. Like they have planned for the unknown and they can do it all because you're there with them. Obviously, it's at a higher price and it's at a higher premium and it's a higher package, but I can't wait because I think I'm going professional service firms because when you made me go through my list and actually put industry types to them, that one was a clear winner. It, it was it was that and real estate professionals. And so I understand those businesses because I am one myself. They felt good and comfortable. So it almost became natural that those should be my two areas to focus on. And what were some of the areas that were inside your client roster that when you saw like, oh, professional services, oh, real estate, I've got a ton of these. I know these guys inside and out. This stuff is kind of old hat. What were, by contrast, some of the industries that you were like, I don't love these guys. These ones don't really make sense. I don't like this work. So we have a couple of like, we have just random people and random things. So we had a couple of like um, over the road truck drivers, but they were still local. And their model is a little different. We had a couple of churches that we used to do like nonprofit work for. And so I'm trying to f- gently phase those ones out because it's, again, it's completely different. We have two legacy manufacturing clients. I doubt they're going to go anywhere, but they don't rock the boat. So we'll just let them stay. And we, we've got some auto, auto industry things like mechanic shops and whatever. Got a couple of restaurants those I don't love, but I don't know what to do about them yet. So we'll figure that out. Okay. Yeah. So you can kind of see in contrast, there are some ones that you're like, uh, just not my favorite. And, you know, by contrast before when it was, you know, if you need us, we'll do it for you. And now it's like, nope, these are my people. These are my prices. This is where we're going. How does that feel different when you show up at work every day? Well, it feels good because now I don't have to say yes to everything without any fear or saying, did I miss an opportunity? I've created a a three question checklist for myself. You know, are they in one of these two industries for me? Do are they actually wanting advice and wanting to implement and get better and and do those things? And then number three is, do I like you as a person? Because that just comes down to all of it. If you don't like them, why am I working with you? And so if if one of those is a no, the whole thing is a no, and it makes it so clear cut and dry for me, then I don't have to waffle and like cave and lose my boundaries again. And how would you say your sort of stress and overwhelm level has shifted over time compared to where it was? You're not all the way through, you're still working your way through, but how does it feel now compared to how it felt like four or six months ago? I have a path. like. I was so aimless of, 
what are the next steps? Because I'm a brand new business owner. So I have that whole layer of eek, what does one do in this position? You know, is this normal? Is this what others are doing? Will I disappoint somebody if I don't do one thing over the other? But now I have a clear path. I have an agenda. I am making those steps. We are making life better going to be better because it can't get any worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it won't ever be worse than it is right now, is for sure across the board, mm-hmm. right? Everything, all the changes that you make, make things better. So for people who are like, but oh my God, I'm still hung up on, you're going from a thousand clients down to like 120 or it's got, it gets kind of fuzzy, right? Because, you know, what are you measuring exactly? But anyways, between the individuals and the corporates, but you're going from a thousand down to 120 ish, like that blows my brain about revenue. What's happening to your revenue? What's happening to my revenue? That is, um, I almost don't care what's happening to my revenue because I just want to get the client count down. However, I will say this, my revenue is not going to change. If I have implemented the new monthly accounting prices, because I had to adjust those as well, along with coupling tax returns in and advice and advisory, my revenue is not going to change. If it does, it's um, negligible. And I also have to keep reminding myself that I'm losing an entire employee who had a very healthy salary, so to speak. So my revenue, my income can go down, my expenses are going down identical. So my net profits are not going to change. Once that hit, there was like almost a sense of, okay, there's a little bit more wiggle room and I can breathe a little bit more. Cause I, I don't know why, but I was only looking at revenues. Like if I don't hit last year's revenue, somehow I've become a failure. That's not, that's not true. This is a super common thought in the accounting space. Mm-hmm. I have to like, I've got to do the same or better as last year, top line. And mm-hmm. what you're saying is your net profit is going to be stable. You're going to have a tenth of the clients. And how many hours are you set up forecasting or designing for? How many hours are you anticipating working compared to how many hours you would have worked? So in prior years, I was working and you guys are going to roll your eyes. I was probably only working like 55 hours. But remember, we were churning and burning tax returns. So there was no client facing, there were no client meetings. And all of that is now shifting. So I will probably get down to a solid 40, maybe 45 with some admin time or hiccups here and there. But that is my tax season target only. Other than that, I probably work 30 hours or less in the off season. And is that different from last year? Like how is the off season gonna be different before and after the off season should almost stay consistent because what we were doing is we sat in the office for all those hours but now we might have the work to actually fill those hours (laughs) (laughs) awesome so tax season hours are going to drop by about 10 ish per week Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and your revenue your net profit is going to be the same yes and where's your enjoyment of business and life going to be for me, and it, and here's the other thing, when when the old owner, well, should we just call her my mother? Because that's what she is. My, my sure. mother has retired. Um, we reshifted everybody's roles in the, in the business as well. So mine becomes the advisory and the selling and the getting things through the pipeline. And then the staff's roles are to do the monthly accounting and the day-to-day operations. So for me, my life gets 
very um, freeing after tax season because I might not actually have to be there all 30 hours. And that means I can do more more vacations or, um, you know, just hang out at home or I can do whatever. And that sounds um, interesting. And I'd like to test this feeling out, but it excites me. That is so awesome. So just before we wrap up here, for listeners who are like, but I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I just don't, like, how can that be for me? How, like, can I do that? That seems nice for her. What would you say to folks who are, like, still kind of in the, this is awful, but I'm scared place? Call me. Please call me. I'll talk you through it. I'll make it sound way worse so that you really do want to change. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A lot of it a lot of it is just getting in the group and knowing that you are not alone and you can make these changes and they will result in happier times after the work. Yes, you're going to put in work. I don't want to like sugarcoat the work that you put into it. You are going to put in some work, but man, that work is really going to shift the needles so much for you that it you'll be like, "Why didn't I do this sooner?" And get it done before next tax season. Yeah, get it done before next tax season, right? Don't go another loop around the sun because it does. It totally, it makes a difference. You put in the work, but it makes a huge difference. So for listeners who are like, I need to talk to this lady because I got to see if this is for real and it's true. How can they find you? We're going to put my website and my email address or maybe just my website down below. Um, From there, you can find my contact information. Just call me. We'll include a link to it in the show notes. This has been so great. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.